turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 as we move into this really third section of the book of Galatians. We've looked at the first four chapters and in reality chapters 1 and 2 is a specific argument the Apostle Paul is making. Chapters 3 and 4 is a another specific argument. In chapters 1 and 2 he's arguing about his apostleship. He's defending his apostleship. He's saying, listen, I am uh, called by Jesus Christ. I am an apostle of his. I speak as an apostle of his. And, and I come with the authority of God's word. He defends his ministry. Some are saying, well, you weren't an apostle with Jesus on the earth. And, and maybe the other apostles don't think quite as much of you as, as, as they do of themselves. And he goes into this whole thing about how he is talked to the apostles. He didn't get any of his teaching from the apostles. He got it from the Lord. But they have seen that he, what he is teaching is the same thing they're teaching. And so he, he defends his apostleship there. And he does it quite well to show that he is a, a messenger of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then in chapters 3 and 4, he, he defends justification by faith. He talks about the importance of that doctrine, the centrality of that doctrine. And I, I dare say that is the central doctrine to the Christian faith, that if you do not have a grasp, and an understanding of justification by faith alone, then you do not have a grasp of Christianity. That is the heart of it. That is the core doctrine uh, that centers around the person of Jesus Christ, but it's how, how justification comes. And, and Paul dealt with that. He defended it. He even went back to the old law, and he said, listen, that you know it was never intended to save. Abraham was justified by faith, and he built his whole case around that, that justification by faith is indeed the only way that a person can have a relationship with God and have their sins forgiven. He talked about the intent of the law. He talked about the, the being a son, sonship in Christ, being a son of God through Christ. He talked about the difference of being bond and free and the, the great difference in understanding that. And then he comes to these last two chapters, and he's not defending his apostleship. He's not defending justification by faith. But these last, three the last two chapters... This third section, he is seeking to make some practical application for you and me of everything he said before. Everything he said about the doctrine of justification by faith. You know, sometimes we fail to see and understand that justification by faith is a very practical thing. We see it as a doctrinal issue. We see it as a, a theology matter. And so we say, oh, well, that's just sort of up here, and you talk about it, you discuss it. <clears throat> but it has no real application has no real practical nature for, for the life on a day-by-day -day basis. And Paul is wanting the, the uh, Galatian Christians to realize nothing could be further from the truth. And so he starts making this practical application. And he's going to do that in chapters 5 and 6 as he begins by talking about walking by the Spirit. And next week we'll look at a passage, Lord willing, that has what we call the fruit of the Spirit in her, what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit, and contrast that with the, fruit, uh, the deeds of the flesh or the fruit of the flesh. And we'll see how this walk by the Spirit is the answer to everything in our life. It's the answer to what the Christian life is. If you, have, if you want a definition of what is a Christian, a Christian is one who walks by the Spirit and not by the flesh. A Christian is one who walks in the Spirit, who has the Spirit of Christ dwelling in them and, and the Holy Spirit abiding within them. And on a day-by-day -day basis, they dwell in Him, they abide in Him, they walk in Him as a manner of life. But Paul wants to make clear in these first 12 verses that we'll look at tonight that walking by the Spirit 
must be understood in a very real sense in the whole concept of law and grace. That you don't walk by the Spirit in the law. You don't walk by the Spirit legally. And try, although, although justification is a legal declaration by God of our, of our being innocent, declared innocent of our sin, and, and not held accountable for it, having His righteousness applied to our life on the basis of that justification. While that is a legal, or the technical term theologically, a forensic type of, of application, while it is legal, it's legal from God's perspective, and with God's declaration, it's not a matter of legal in that we try to abide by the law in order to be made right with God. That's important that he, he feels that's so important that the Galatians understand that and just as much so that you and I understand it. Hear what he says starting in verse 1. If I stumble a little bit, forgive me because I've got a film over my eyes that won't go away. I keep trying to get it to go away and it won't. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you, that is from God or from Jesus Christ who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Now, you've got to hear in Paul's discussion here about this just a little bit of frustration. Uh, you've heard it before in this book. He cannot understand how these Galatians who have seen the Spirit of God work among them, who have experienced the, the grace of God, who have experienced faith in Jesus Christ, he cannot understand, he can't comprehend how they can somehow even think about returning to the legal systems, returning to the law, returning to circumcision. Now understand what he's saying here when he starts out this chapter by saying it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Paul is saying, listen, when Christ came into your life, when Christ came and redeemed you, he redeemed you from the yoke of slavery that was under the law. You were struggling, you were trying, you were doing your best perhaps, and your best was never good enough. You tried to obey the law, you tried to carry out all the rituals, you tried to carry out all the sacrifices, 
And in the midst of all that, you found yourself just stumbling more and more and realizing that there was no way you could ever fully please God. There was no way you could ever fully attain to a righteousness that is your own found in the law. It is just impossible. So Jesus Christ came along and he set you free from the law. He set you free from the yoke of slavery. He set you free from being subject to that law on a day-by-day -day basis, worrying, can I ever live it good enough? Can I ever do good enough for God to please me? Always wondering, always struggling, will I be able to have a relationship with God that will last, that will be secure, that will last into all of eternity? Will I ever be able to do that? And Paul says Christ came along and he broke the bonds of slavery. He set you free from the yoke of the law. And he said by his grace and by his authority and by his power, you are a free man. You are a free woman in me. And he forgave us of our sin. He imputed his righteousness to us. And he set us free. And Paul said he didn't do that that you might go back into slavery. He didn't do that in your life that you might again return and try to do it yourself. But it was for freedom. He set you free that you might stay free, remain free, and not be caught up in the, in the realm of legalism. Trying to please God, trying to do what you can to make God happy. Now in verses 2 through about verse well, 2 and 3 particularly, maybe even in verse 4, Paul starts talking about this concept of circumcision again. I say to you, if you, if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Now, without getting real technical here about physiology and things of that nature, he's not saying that if you've had a, an operation that is circumcision of the flesh, that then, then you can't be a Christian. You know, he's not saying that if you... If you've gone through that operation, even as a little baby, when you had no choice in it, your parents did it for you, then Christ is of no benefit for you. You might as well hang it up and go somewhere else. That's not what he's saying. He's talking to a people here who are trying to return to, to living up to those old standards. They're, they're being troubled by somebody. I, I find it amazing down here that he says, I don't know who it is. I don't know who's troubling you. I don't know who it is that continues to bother you and disturb you in verse 10. But I know that he's going to, whoever he is, he'll bear his own judgment. Don't worry about him. But what this person or persons or group were doing, as we've talked about a little bit before, was they were trying to say, listen, Jesus Christ is important. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the, last pro the, the great prophet. He's, he's the one who came to reveal God in his totality and his fullness. All of that's okay. But you must have Christ on the basis of, of obeying the law. You must go through the circumcision. You must go through the other rituals if you really want to have Christ. And Paul says, I want you to know that if you turn to that and if you think that you can somehow earn this favor with God, you're trying to do it in the flesh, you're trying to do it on your own, I want you to know Christ will be of no benefit to you. In other words, there's no salvation in that. Now, he's talking to people here who have made professions of faith. He's talking to people here who have been in the church, who have been baptized, who have gone through all of the, the right things and have, have abided in this church body. And yet here, he says, if, if, if you turn back to the law, you are rejecting Christ and there is no benefit for you in Christ. He uses a phrase down there that a lot of people like to use sometimes in, in verse 4. He said, you've been severed from Christ if you do that. 
If you're seeking to be justified by the law, you're severed from Christ, and you have fallen from grace. And, and a lot take that terminology, fallen from grace, to say, well, that means that they once were saved, and now they have lost their salvation. They once were right with God, they once were in Christ Jesus, but now they've fallen from grace, they've lost their salvation. I don't think the weight of the argument in this passage carries that. As a matter of fact, I think if you look at the totality of Scripture and you interpret Scripture by Scripture, you realize that what Paul is saying is here is you have moved away from the grace that is available to you. You have moved away from the grace of God that He's, wanting, that he, he's showing to you and you have chosen by your own behavior and by your own volition to, be, to try to be obedient to the law. You've tried to serve God in the flesh rather than serving Him in the Spirit by faith. And so you have fallen away from the grace that is a real part of the Christian life. John says in 1 John, when struggling with the same issue, with people who had come into the church, they were around the church, they maybe were even officers in the church, in that first century church, and they departed from it. And the people were coming to John and saying, John, how can this be? This person, Tom, who was such a, a dynamic believer it looked like, and, and he got involved in the church, maybe became a deacon or a leader and, and did certain things, and now he has gone out from us. He's gone back to Judaism or maybe just gone back to paganism or even just gone back to a licentious lifestyle. How can we, how can we understand this? We believe when Jesus said that if you're in me, you are protected by my hand, by the hand of God, the Spirit of God protects you. We believe that what Peter said, you are kept by the power of Almighty God, that you are secure in Christ. How do we understand this? And John said, the only way you can understand it is is they might have been with us, but they were not of us. They might have been among us, and they might have even looked very religious, but they really were not a part of the body of Christ. They had a spurious faith. They had a false faith. A faith that appeared to be good, a faith that appeared to be real, as far as we could judge, as far as we could see, but the real test of whether a faith is real or not is not whether it's powerful today, and gone tomorrow. But the real test of a powerful faith, a faith that is in Christ Jesus and in Christ alone, is does it persevere to the end? Is it kept by the power of God? Is it protected by the presence of Christ? And that's what John wanted him to understand. And I think what Paul is saying here is not saying, oh well, you've been saved, now you go back to the law, you're lost again, you've been severed from Christ, you've fallen from grace, and all of that. He's just saying your behavior is showing that you never really were in Christ. Your behavior is showing that, that you are severed from Christ even until now. Because in verse 5 he says, for, for we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. We're not trying to build our own righteousness. We are by faith. We are through Christ, in Christ. We are, are, are through the Spirit. We are waiting for the righteousness of Christ to be revealed in our life and to be present within us. Not because we did it. Not because it's something we attain to. But because it's something that He has done and has given us by His grace. It says in verse 6, He said, For in Christ Jesus, circumcision, uncircumcision, neither of them mean anything. But it's faith working through love. You know, one of the things that a lot of people have trouble with with Christianity is Christianity says, just believe. 
you know, just have faith. In Judaism, you had to be circumcised. You had to go through certain cleansings. And you had to have all these different rituals. And you had to obey them pretty much by the letter right up through your life. In Islam, you have to follow the five pillars of Islam. And you have to, you have to pray five times a day very, very fanatically, very uh, clearly defined times you have to do it and do it in a certain direction and do it in a certain way in other religions in order to have some kind of right relationship with the God of that religion you you have to meditate on certain things you have to memorize certain things you have to be able to to do certain things but Christianity comes along Jesus Christ comes along and he says believe in me just believe in me and you'll have life. Put your trust in me. Put your faith in me. And you'll have life. So a lot of people say, you know, that's just too easy. Well, it's obviously they've never experienced it. They think it's just so easy. But it is a matter of just trusting Christ. Trusting Christ for all, of his, all that he's done and all that he's accomplished on the cross. That's what Paul is saying here. Circumcision, uncircumcision, those are un. un Unimportant matters, unless you're putting your, unless you're putting the trust for your salvation in them. What we understand is that it's faith working through love that makes the difference. That's what Christianity is. It's faith that works itself out in love, love toward Christ and love toward one another, that shows itself to be genuine and real. And then in verses 7 through 12, it's just kind of, I call this Paul's rant. You know, he's, he's just kind of ready to rant a little bit. He said, here is what, he's talking about the difference in true religion and false religion. And, and, and everything that's outside of Christ is a false religion. Everything that's in Christ is true religion. And he, he starts ranting a little bit. He says, you know, you were running well. Well, you started great. When you came and made your professions of faith as the church at Galatia, and when you built that church and everything was going great, there was an excitement, there was enthusiasm, you, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Who distracted you? It wasn't Christ. It wasn't the Spirit. It wasn't God Himself. Who is it that has distracted you or hindered you from obeying the truth. This persuasion to, to abandon the truth did not come from him who calls you. And you know, a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. You're reading this and you almost think, why did he throw that in there? He's just mad. That's why. Don't you know, a little leaven, you put in the lump of dough and, and all of a sudden that little bit of leaven, is, it moves out, permeates, and the whole dough is leavened then by that little bit? Don't you know that just a little bit of trying to go back to the law, just a little bit of legalism, and we'll see next week even just a little bit of licentiousness, license, which is the opposite of legalism, a little bit of either one of those will not only be like leaven in the dough in your life, it will, it will destroy you, it will permeate you, and you'll find yourself following the law and, or, or licentiousness rather than following Christ. He's just saying, I don't understand this. But I do have confidence. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view. 
I think his real confidence is in the Lord. I think he puts in there, I have confidence in you, in the Lord, uh, to try to at least get them to listen. I, I believe you're not going to adopt the other view. Paul said you started too well. But always remember, it's not how you start, it's how you finish that matters. And that's what Paul is getting, trying to get them to see here. And that's what we have to remember as Grace Baptist Church. It doesn't matter how we started. We started great, we started strong, we started positively. But what really matters is how are we going to finish? How are we going to continue the race? Are we going to continue looking to Christ and Christ alone? Are we going to continue doing it by faith and letting faith live itself out in love? Working itself out through love? Or are we going to kind of start trying to now do it programmatic and, and do it legally and do it other ways? Or are we just going to follow what Christ has called us to do? said, I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Evidently, somebody had said in the church there, you know, Paul really has changed his view on this a little bit. Paul has said circumcision is important. The law is important for you to follow through on in order to be right with Christ. And, and, and Paul says, this, this disturber, this troubler, I don't know where he got this, but listen, if I'm, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I persecuted then? No, I'm not preaching that. Because if I did, the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. Stumbling block of the cross. You know, the cross is a stumbling block to people. In the very reason he's talking about to these Galatian Christians. It's not a stumbling block to say, hey, why don't you try to earn favor with God? You be good. You be nice. You do your very best. And surely God will accept that. That's not, that's not a stumbling block. That's a, that's a popular humanistic view of religion. You hear that all sorts of places. But Paul says, the cross is a stumbling block. When you say, listen, the only way you can have a right relationship with God is, is through believing that that cross is a reality, that Jesus Christ gave himself and died in your place. Remember a few years ago, Ted Turner basically showed what the stumbling block of the cross is when he said, I don't want anybody dying for me. Well, okay, then die for yourself. And you will. But it won't be a very pleasant death. Paul says... The stumbling block of the cross must stand. It would be abolished if we go back to preaching law and, and everything would just be nice and rosy, but nobody would really come to Christ. And then his real anger comes through, and I won't dwell on this a lot, but on verse 12, Paul simply says, I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. He said, you know, they're, talking, they're trying to get you to mutilate, be mutilated by undergoing circumcision and, and undergoing various rituals. I wish they'd just go out and mutilate themselves. If they want to mutilate somebody, if they want to get somebody under bondage, they want to do something, just go do it to themselves and leave you alone. I mean, and Paul is, is quite blunt there in, in his language. That, you know, they have no right trying to lead these people of Galatia astray from the truth they have known. 
And now they are trying to do that. He wished that he, they would just go and do it to themselves rather than trying to distort the body. What Paul is wanting to see here is that grace and law cannot be mingled. That's the whole concept of the leaven. Grace and law are not a complementary concept. You will either seek salvation by grace in Jesus Christ, or you will seek salvation by law, by which, in verse 3 he says, everyone who receives circumcision, that is, pursues after the law, he is under obligation to keep the whole law. Every bit of it. So, well, I just had a little sin. Sorry, you broke the whole law. I just told a little lie. I'm sorry. It's, you might as well, as far as the law goes, gone out and murdered somebody. You either keep the whole law or you break the whole law. And as we've said before, the law was given not to, so you could keep it. The law was given to show that you can't keep it. The purpose of the law is not to bring to salvation. The purpose of the law is to bring us to a point of frustration, a point of desperation, where we cry out to Jesus Christ, Lord, I cannot save myself. I cannot obey the law. I cannot do what is required of me. Oh, Lord, I trust in what you have done in fulfilling the law and doing everything that is required of it. And I trust you completely for that. So that's the difference in true religion false religion. It's the difference in grace and law. That's the difference in Christianity, true Christianity, and everything else. Now, I won't get into it this week. I'll save it for next week, maybe. But there's a lot that goes under the name of Christianity that falls in the area of law and makes it false religion, not true religion. And we'll come back to that later. Let's pray. Father, we bow in your presence after singing these great songs about a firm foundation, about standing for Christ because you have stood for us and died for us, about lifting your name on high and let there be glory and honor and praises to you and the heart of worship it's not about us it's about you and we come back to that Lord help us ever remember that Father I pray tonight as we go forth this week that we will speak of grace we will tell people of your grace we will speak of your gift and your redemption that is apart from law and apart from good deeds and apart from being able to accomplishing their own strength. The Lord will direct people not away from you toward law and legalism. We'll direct people toward you by your grace. Thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.